Hello and you are listening to Scar Joa Gogo, the podcast where I chronicle and dissect the films of Scarlett Johansson in chronological order. I'm Luke and this week I'm talking about The Other Berlin Girl. We're here to learn, not just to yarn, for our most loved celebrity. We'll watch the screen, what can we glean from her career trajectory? Cause she'd prefer if you'd refer to her as Miss Johansson. Don't be a jerk to Miss Johansson. Respect her work. She starts off really small and then she grows, she grows, she grows, she grows. Let's see how far she goes. Scar Joe go. Let's just relax, let's stop and take a moment to truly celebrate a young actor who showed a great deal of promise as a child, as a child actor. Uh, She grew up shining in independent films, and yes, made a few dodgy choices along the way, but is ultimately beloved. I'm talking about a star who can rattle our expectations by taking a role that doesn't seem like much to begin with, but manages along the way to really find the performance in it, to to squeeze out the emotion, earn our empathy, and win our admiration. I am, of course, talking about Natalie Portman. What? What do you say? Is is this Nat Poe a go-go now? Is that what's happening here? I thought this was the show where we dissect Scarlett Johansson, but yes, this is the film where Natalie Portman, Scarlett Johansson come together for the first time playing sisters. And I'm a little shocked. I don't want to say this too early, but uh, I'm worried that one of them is going to outshine the other. Controversial, I know. But deep breaths, take it easy. I'm going to lead you through all this and we're going to find out what it's all about. But uh, if you don't remember, when we last left Scarlet, she was brilliant. She she was confident and versatile in the surprisingly enjoyable, it surprised me, The Nanny Diaries, uh, where she was able to balance comedy, drama, and emotion effortlessly, which resulted in what I think was one of her best performances yet. Um, she shed the glamour movie star, femme fatale facade, and finally reconnected with that all-elusive truth. Uh, portraying a character who was flawed, approachable, who farted, who was down to earth, and was extremely likable and uh, just really entertaining to watch. So now, after playing something that uh, is very relatable, we're going to go to the absolute other end of the spectrum with 2008's The Other Berlin Girl, which is kind of a dramatization of historical events, but takes some liberties and is all about the... um, British monarchy, Henry VIII, and he's fucking around, essentially. And this is a film that was directed by Justin Chadwick. And if you're not familiar with Justin Chadwick, this was his first feature film. And he's a guy that's uh, directed English TV shows like The Bill and EastEnders. And I would say, probably a bit uncharitably, that when you get someone who has directed The Bill and EastEnders and uh, you put them with these A-list movie stars, you kind of end up with a film uh, that feels and is about as entertaining as The Bill or EastEnders. Um, Total transparency here. 
this was one of the two films, you know the other one was The Love Song of Bobby Long, that I've really not been looking forward to watching. There's just nothing about them that appeals to me on the surface. Uh, stars Eric Banner as Henry VIII. Do you remember when Eric Banner starred in things? He's of course an Australian. I know his uh, comedy work. He used to be on a comedy show here, a sketch comedy show, before he became famous in America, where he certainly wasn't playing a... Um, good-looking leading man. He was usually a uh, comedic bogan character with a mullet. So to cast him as the King of England, it's already stretching things a little bit for me. It it just all looks kind of bland. So I'm admittedly a little bit prejudiced going into this one, but I do like to be surprised. I didn't think Nanny Diaries was going to be as good as it was. You never know. Um, But that said... We're not going to go through this plot point by agonizing plot point because I personally don't care and I'm sure you don't care about Lord Percy or King Turkey Leg or Lady Edith Twattingley of Porkeshire or any of those things. Um, basically, Henry VIII is Eric Banner. He was a, he wants a manly son to be the heir to the throne, but his dumb wife, Queen Catherine, keeps popping out useless girls instead to drown in the river and the Bolin, uh, Bolin, Bolin, I'm going to have trouble with this one. The Bolin family has two girls, both with fertile wombs and there's lots of affairs and impregnation and miscarriage and betrayal and exile and other assorted gubbins. Lots of characters, lots of twists and turny things. We're really just going to focus on Scarlet's character for the most part or things that directly relate to Scarlet's character. If you're really interested in the intricacies of the monarchy at that time, you can watch the film yourself, or even better, read a history book and get the truth. Because uh, already, Scarlet's character here is portrayed as someone who's quite morally upright, quite timid, shy, and apparently Mary Boleyn was not that at all in real life. She was actually um, quite promiscuous from what I've read. And had already banged, I think, the King of France and maybe some other people and seemed like an easy choice to go in and uh, seduce the King. Not what you're going to see here, though, so don't get too excited about that. Don't get too excited about this film at all, because it's a bit dull, to be honest. But uh, I'm going to do my best. Let's just pump through this thing. So, Scarlet does get second billing behind Nat Poe. I'm going to call her Nat Poe. We don't call Scarlet Scarjo during the show because that's a bit disrespectful and we know it's something she doesn't like. It's a title that I'm stuck with. But uh, to make her feel better, we'll call Natalie Portman Nat Poe. It's kind of cute. Sounds like a panda or something, doesn't it? Doesn't it? All right, let's agree to disagree on that one. And uh, it starts off with uh, Nat Poe and Scarlet as little kids. They're just little tackers. Uh, This must have been shot with some sort of a time camera. Opened a window to the past. And uh, their mum and dad basically are talking about selling them off for marriage. And uh, it's their belief that considering current market value, Nat Poe is worth a lot more to them. Though apparently they do concede that Scarlet is the kinder of the two, and possibly even the fairer. I think that's like whether you're into blondes or brunettes. That's the age-old Betty or Veronica conundrum. And then when we do launch into the future, back to the future, we finally see an adult Scarlet. I say finally, it's about a minute in. Um, 
but I was bored already, as you might have guessed. Uh, she's standing topless in her big old ye old pantaloons and sporting a bit of sneaky side boob while a couple of female attendants scrub her down for a wedding day. Uh, they live in the country. I'm assuming this is so that she doesn't smell of, like, horses or onions, maybe leeks. And she's got long blonde hair here, uh, but in this scene it's tied up and braided, and hardly any eyebrows. Now, pearl earring, girl with a pearl earring, she didn't have eyebrows either, and it's the same thing here. And I find it really distracting. It's amazing how just these two tiny slithers of hair can turn her from, like, a 10 into maybe a 7. I don't like the really long hair as well. She gets her hair down pretty quickly, and it's sort of, like, going all the way down to her bum. And I just feel like, I mean, I've never had hair that long. I don't know. Ladies, men with long hair, let me know. But for me, that just feels like a total pain in the ass. Like, what a lot of effort. It's like this big, unwieldy mane. I think Scarlet's better in roles where her hair's above her shoulder. And goddamn, I love her hair now where it's all, like, shaved at the sides. Listen to me, I do ramble on. And uh, Natalie walks in on this scene and uh, is definitely more confident than Scarlet, who does seem very shy and humble and uh, the less confident of the two. And uh, her first line is a simple, hardly, uh, when Nat Poe says that uh, she's eclipsed, claiming that Natalie herself is the other Berlin girl. And this is because uh, Scarlet's about to get married. And Scarlet has an English accent here, which has been, you know, a bit of a battleground in the past for her. But it's a bit more refined than the ones in previous films, where she's been a bit more of a chav. And it's so far so good. It's actually working a lot better here. Um, I'm hoping she's going to get hold of this accent and really punch it in the throat this time. And, um, oh shit, this was a surprise to me. The rather uh, docile, placid, tamed Scarlet is dancing around at what looks like the lamest wedding party ever. And to add insult to injury, her husband is Benedict fucking Cumberbatch wearing a stupid hat. Now, I'm going to draw a line in the sand here because I know there's some of you out there that are shocked that I'm like, Benedict fucking Cumberbatch, because you're like, oh, but he's the best thing ever. He's lovely. He's wonderful. I love him. He's so dreamy. Yeah, is he, though? Is he really? I'm kind of annoyed by him because of the oversaturation of him, because of the overreaction to him. And I think it's really interesting when you look back at these early roles that there's nothing remarkable about him. I feel like it was the Sherlock TV series, just in the same way that um, the Doctor Who series has turned those actors into icons for many fangirls around the globe. It's the Sherlock character and that writing that's made him special. But it's hard to believe, watching this, that this is the same guy that everybody's all excited about. If anybody saw this and went, oh my god, he's so incredible looking or oh my god that voice or what an excellent actor or whatever I would be incredibly surprised because there's nothing about him that stands out at all and in fact he's here to play a sort of foppish ineffectual man um you know we really are rooting for her to escape from so I don't share the Benedict love I actually think that a lot of you need to admit, if you do love Benedict, that you're actually more in love with Stephen Moffat because it's those characters that you keep falling for and that make these actors. Um, whereas, like, where were they before? 
look at him in like four lions or something like that. Just nothing remarkable remarkable about him at all. But this is not uh, Ben come a bum bum. So I'm going to move on. Uh, Scarlet is now looking very timid and tense, being consoled by Nat Poe. And why is she anxious? It's because she knows she's going to have to bang Cumberbatch tonight. And Nat Poe tells her to tell her everything about it in the morning. No details spared. You know, does he have gills? Does he have a human-like genitalia? Did he try to lay his eggs in you? She's going to want to know all the gossip. And then we are in the bedroom where Benedict wears a lovely white nightgown, beginning to wonder if he was the bride in the ceremony. Uh, you know, are the customs different on his planet? Is, is that what's going on here? Uh, and then Scarlet begrudgingly and silently strips down to an equally ugly uh, sheet-like night, uh, nightgown, bit of underwear, and lies down on the bed reservedly as Benedict awkwardly clambers on top of her. Thankfully, the director has a weak stomach and cuts away before Benedict even gets to kiss her. Sorry, Benny, missed out this time. And the next day, a still very shy Scarlet claims that Benedict was satisfactory. But then finally the facade cracks, and this is the first time she actually laughs and smiles, I think, in the film. And uh, she says he was awful, that he was hurrying, that he snored, and that he used a piss pot by the side of the bed. Probably right up near her head, too, the inconsiderate bastard. What a total cumber dud. And uh, Nat Poe tells Scarlet, it's her turn to confide, that she's been tasked with diverting the king on his impending visit. King Henry's coming by, Natalie has to divert him, which apparently is kind of ye old talk for uh, pull him off. But the issue I have here is, is that Scarlet's a very dour and quiet character all through this. And in fact, no one at this point is particularly interesting to watch. And it makes you wonder what the filmmakers think that the audience is getting out of all this at this stage. I mean, what's the hook? Why are we interested? Especially an American audience who I imagine's interest in British history must equal their interest in, like, a ferret's nutsack. The other Berlin girl is no American sniper, let me tell you. And then Eric Banner shows up, dressed like a king, totally can't hide the fact that underneath all those massive shoulder pads, he's a total Aussie bogan, and he makes eyes at Nat Poe and then eats his own weight in meat. And Scarlet, meanwhile, waits anxiously and silently by a window, which is very exciting for us to watch and I'm sure her for, for her to perform. Um, King Banner gets injured in a hunting accident thanks to dumb old Anne, Natalie, who uh, made him follow her through a ravine that she knew very well, but he didn't, so he got injured. I think this is the ravine where Natalie used to shoot Womprats back home. I should say for the history buffs, if I haven't made this clear, so Scarlet is Mary Boleyn and Natalie is Anne Boleyn. So that's how the two of them kind of fit into all of this. And it's Scarlet, Mary, that is then tasked with nursing the king because they don't want Nat Poe to fuck anything else up, which means basically that Scarlet gets to sit shyly and awkwardly next to Eric Banner, looking at him wide-eyed like he's a ghost. And I thought this was the same timid rabbit routine that we saw all the time in A Girl with a Pearl Earring. In fact, this almost feels like 
um, the sequel to that. And I don't know what it is. Like, is it the lack of eyebrows completely fucking with her facial expressions and, and making me feel that everything's really out of kilter? Because it's this startled animal thing. I know he's a king, and of course he's going to be nervous and anxious around a king, but um, it's just such a limited range for her. I feel like all the time in this film, she's asked to watch other people act. And especially after Nanny Diaries, that's a waste. So the king later requests that Scarlet goes to court to take up a new position there. Missionary position, spoilers. And even though they got to know each other for like only what, a one minute scene? Like I thought, you know, we'd get quite a few scenes building their relationship, showing him falling for her. No, the fact that, um, you know, he, she held his hand and uh, patted it and said, well, you got a boo-boo in the ravine, poor king. Uh, now he's interested in some uh, porking. <laughs> Play on words. And uh, look, she's not keen to go to court, uh, but it's all this sort of wide-eyed, breathy stuff that has no real weight behind it because we're just not invested in the story. And more tense, close-up, timid rabbit faces from Scarlet. Benedict's going to get to go there as well, but he's really not a factor from this point onward in the story. He's totally cuckolded. Um... And she has to then defend herself to Napo, who is also confused, just as we are, as to how all this could happen in such a short amount of time. And, you know, and she's read the script, and she's confused. How are we supposed to deal with all this? So Scarlet arrives in the big city looking very quiet, shy, and anxious, and again, really is pearl-earing to pre-electricity boogaloo. Um, the Queen questions her presence here. Why are you here? What's your deal? Scarlet claims to have zero usable talents for the court. Uh, she gets asked to sing, but she kind of ballses it up a bit. Um, she should have sung that new Candy song she's been singing. That might have gone down a little bit better. And look, Queen Catherine, she's no dummy. And played by Kristen St uh, Scott Thomas, who last worked with Scarlet in The Horse Whisperer, by the way. But she's no dummy. She realises at this point, when Scarlet can't sing, that, okay... You're here because King Eric Banner wants to show you his banana. Banana. And look, he doesn't waste any time, this guy. She's on the dance floor and King Banner just whispers to Scarlet tonight and looks, and she just looks completely silent and flabbergasted again and then has to go straight to the king for the inevitable sexing, uh, which is about as sexy a proposition at this stage as Benedict's nightgown or the aforementioned ferret's nutsack. Like, she walks straight into the chamber. There's no pretense as to why she's there. She strips down to her frumpy nightgown again, and he gets to charm her on the bed while she shyly offers all the charm and agency of a piece of wet newspaper with a Garfield comic printed on it. It's all really about him. And it's so gross because there's no character that she's shown him or us to fall in love with here. You know, I've said that before in films like Matchpoint. You understand, or Lost in Translation, you understand why someone would be intrigued by her straight away. You believe in that love at first sight. She's immediately interesting and desirable. But... She's not offering any of that here. So we realise there's nothing about her at all other than the fact that he wants to bang her because he thinks that she's cute. But there's no other connection, which makes it a really hard thing to invest in for us. 
and he just keeps touching her face and then starts kissing her and then she kisses him back because I have no idea why she would do that, like why she starts to get really into it. He then strips off, gets his shirt off, and starts to get under that nightgown. And of course, the director timidly cuts away as they begin to go at it. Not that she seemed particularly enthusiastic, no more enthusiastic than she was with Benedict, but there you go. And um, further insult to injury, she, I can't talk very well today. I failed you, I'm sorry. Uh, she returns to her dad and has to tell him all about the sex scenes in detail, that they did it multiple times, etc. And dad's thrilled. He's like, this is great. You know, this is my meal ticket. I love this. He wishes he had more daughters, I'll bet. He's like a vagina farmer at this point. So even more sex scenes with the king follow because it seems like a really good idea to fill her up with a baby boy. And, uh, you know, again, this is another film where Scarlett has no real character but spends a lot of time kissing and being passed around multiple male actors. Is that what most female roles are like? I don't know. I really need to start thinking about this now. And it's the same for Nat Poe, who secretly marries some dude who was promised to somebody else and, and then bangs him. And then Scarlett tells everyone about the secret and Nat Poe is exiled to the worst place in the universe, by the way they all carry on, France! Holy crap. And Nat gets to get really upset and angry at Scarlett. But Scarlett still keeps her emotions comparatively in check. She's still playing second fiddle to Natalie and, and really not getting the opportunity to, to elevate that performance to the same level. And the thing is, these are scenes that could be interesting and could develop these two characters and their relationship and really give them memorable performances. But these scenes are given no room to breathe. I mean, they're really over before they even begin. And instead, we cut to more boring exposition while characters like um, Queen Catherine or the mother just sort of plot around these grand but very empty rooms. Which is a good description of the film in general. I mean, it's nice to look at. It's got these lavish costumes and settings, but there's nothing inside them. And Scarlett's pregnant already, but she's sickly and bedridden. And this, of course, means that now she gets to do even less. Lying in bed for her scene. She didn't get to act, and now she doesn't even get to walk. And um, her family, worried that the king is going to be as bored by all this as I am, sends for Nat Poe to come back from France and to liven things up again. Subtext with her vagina. And sure enough, Nat Poe comes back and charms the king. And she has some animosity here with the bedridden Scarlet, who she believes betrayed her. And um, poor old Scarlet, it seems like her only amusement in the last 20 minutes of this film was braiding her hair at some point. Apart from that, she's lying in a dark room now while Natalie gets all the spotlight. Uh, and then Scarlet does eventually give birth, so she does get to scream and be emotional for the first time in about the first hour, which is good. And guess what? It's a boy. Scarlet hugs him, and I swear this kid looks nearly as big as she is. Screams make a lot more sense now. Banner, however, the bastard, has decided that Natpo is his one true love, and literally turns his back on Scarlet and the baby, and then, like, Natalie's like, well, the baby's a bastard, so that's no good anyway. He can't be an heir, he's a bastard. And you think, well, didn't they think of that beforehand? Like, why did you waste time with the bastard baby if 
you know, you wanted a prince baby. Doesn't make any sense. So now, like, Scarlet and the baby are going to have to go back to the country and smell like horses and onions again. And Natpo is tasked with giving the, the sickly, exhausted Scarlet the news. And I think she relishes in this, saying, get out of here. This is my film now. So poor old Scarlet, solemn and sullen, no eyebrows, got a kid now, has to leave Natpo to shine. And look, no question here, Natpo definitely has the better role. She is far more of a player in this game. She's shrewd, she's more manipulative, she knows what she wants. Scarlet, meanwhile, has the thankless role. And we don't really see Scarlet again until a bit later in the piece where she gets called in front of the king to answer questions as to whether Nat Poe actually consummated the marriage that she had with that guy before, which ended up getting annulled. And um, Scarlet is very timid and silent and dutifully watches Banner act. And um, Scarlet decides to cover Nat Poe's ass. So Nat Poe comes in and is very happy and kisses her. It's brief. It's just a sisterly kiss, but undoubtedly the best part of the film. If you ever want to see Natalie Portman and Scarlett Johansson kiss, well, it's here. And Nat Poe's like, don't go back to that onion-smelling country. You're my sister. I need you here by my side. And then God, like... Basically, Natalie wants him to get rid of Queen Catherine. She's like, I'm going to deny you everything. You can't have me until I am the queen. So you've got to get rid of this woman and then you can have me. So what happens is Eric, they put the queen on trial. They finally get rid of her. He comes back. He's all flustered and he's like, I did it. Now you're mine. And he really uh, horrifically rapes her. I wasn't expecting it at all, and it's a really uncomfortable scene to watch. And Natalie's performance here does gain a lot of empathy, and it's one of those few times where this film has real impact, and you really start to feel for a character. And um, sure enough, she's pregnant afterwards, uh, and they get married. She marries the king, as again, poor silent Scarlet just dutifully watches on from the sidelines and I count the clock until all this is over. And then Eddie Redmayne. Bloody Eddie Redmayne, folks. He's in this film too. You've got Benedict Cumberbatch and Eddie Redmayne in this film. Eddie Redmayne, who uh, took the Oscar from Benedict Cumberbatch, looks like he's going to take away Scarlet as well. He makes a move on Scarlet. He's like, look, Scarlet, I've saved some dollars. It's not much, but I got some I got some ducats. He wants to take her away. He's like, come on. You were with Cumberbatch and Banner already in this film. I'm Eddie Redmayne. I've got the fucking Oscar. I've got the Golden Globe. I've got the BAFTA. Come with me and make out with me too. And this is becoming a worrying new trend for the roles of the adult Scarlet. Certainly something we didn't have to contend with when she was a child. But now, a lot of these movies, look at the Black Dahlia starring Josh Hartnett and Aaron Eckhart. Scarlet's character sleeps with both of them. This film stars Eric Banner, Benedict Cumberbatch, Eddie Redmayne. Scarlet sleeps with all three of them. The Prestige stars Hugh Jackman. And Christian Bale. Scarlet sleeps with both of them. <laughs> Apparently things are a lot simpler when you're a kid. This is uh, what adults do. And it's grim. So Scarlet helps her sister Natpo pop out a very disappointing baby girl. 
So will she help her find a sack to drown it in the river? I seriously, Banner looks at Natalie like she just gave birth to a fucking river rat. He is not impressed. So Banner starts seeing Jane Seymour, who is played by Juno Temple. And uh, guess what Scarlet gets to do? She dutifully holds the baby while Nat Poe gets to pace around and act. But the film's sort of going through a bit of a turning point here because Natalie is giving a, a really strong performance now and she's getting me more invested in what's going on. I mean, we're talking late in the game. We're talking probably about the last half hour of the film. And I certainly wouldn't recommend this film personally. But you've got to give credit to Natalie Portman for making the best out of a bad situation and actually being able to wring some real drama out of all of this. But Scarlet's back in the prestige territory where she's handling the props and passing the props and, and watching the action from the side. And that does seem odd to me at this stage in her career. This feels like the sort of film you would have done, you know, five or six years earlier, and not now. Like, I don't think she needs this now. And then Nat Poe has a miscarriage on the second child, so Scarlet silently comforts Natalie as she gets to act again. Scarlet does get a little bit of emotion as Nat Poe plans her next move, uh, because, um... You know, Natalie's worried now that if she doesn't have a... You know, if they find out about the miscarriage that she is going to be seen to be a witch. They'll think it's witchcraft that she can't conceive and they might do something horrible to her. And this is where things get really Game of Thrones, really weird. She wants to replace the baby. She doesn't. She's hidden from the king the fact that she's had a miscarriage, so she needs a new baby inside her. And she tries to have a baby with her brother. Now, of course, that doesn't work out and makes family gatherings incredibly awkward. So Nat Poe ends up on trial and is found guilty of treason. And it's because of this odd development that Scarlet gets her only real acting scene. And that's to come in and see the king and make an appeal for Nat Poe's life. But it's still just that little bit too quiet and timid for me. And I feel like we've long established that her character is sort of quiet and timid and shy. But she's obviously passionate. She obviously loves her sister. She's obviously ready to confront the king and really make a case for what she wants and who she loves. So I'd like to see even more here. But it doesn't feel like the director is pushing her. And... Banner, King Banner, he makes her think that, look, everything's going to be fine. Nat's going to be fine. Not going to chop off her head. But guess what? He's pulling a Joffrey. He's a liar. So Scarlet gets a scene with a teary, imprisoned Natalie, trying to convince her that all's going to be okay. But again, Natalie is the one that gets to do the lion's share of the acting. This is Natalie's movie, definitely by this point. And, and Natalie, Nat Poe, also gets to do a wonderful pre-execution performance, which really does legitimately make you feel for her and is definitely the, the best part of the movie and the only part where I really, really cared. Scarlet shows emotion from the crowd. She receives a letter from the king, which is basically like, oh, you know how I said uh, your sister was going to be okay? Just joking, lols. Don't ever come and see me again or I'll chop your head off too. Haha, <laughs> okay, latest baby, bye. She's upset, Natalie gets her head cut off, 
And again, the director doesn't give Scarlett the, the space to really let this sink in. We, we pretty much cut forward to her silent, stoic performance again, where she marches through the corridors, whips up Natalie's girl child, who, did you know, is... That's the future Queen Elizabeth. And she leaves the court. And, you know, the ending already... She gets to live happily in the country, smelling of horses and onions, with good old Eddie Redmayne and his stupid hat. So, hooray, I think, right? So, in conclusion, I'm really dissatisfied. I think this is an unsatisfying film for an audience, for Scarlett, for me, and even for me as a podcast episode and thereby unsatisfying to you. Because, like, what do you say about an actor that doesn't get to act? Especially when I feel that a lot of this film's shortcomings are are really duplicated in Girl with a Pearl Earring as well. It's just not an easy fit. And I'm very frustrated at movies that bombard us with plot, but, but don't contain a single interesting character in them. Who do we care about in this, and why? What personality traits do any of these characters have? Do they have rich inner lives? Are there memorable lines of dialogue? It's bland and it's forgettable and it's a slog. And we often at this point, we talk about why was she cast, or more importantly, why did she choose to do it? Now, on the IMDb page, there's a snippet of an interview with Scarlett Johansson talking about this film. Now, I don't seek that kind of material out. I I tend to try and form my own opinion on this. And what she says in interviews about why she does it, or how she feels about the film, it's always hard to gauge how valuable or honest that is, because obviously they're contracted to do promo, and they're always going to talk up the film that they're currently in. They have to. So I, I don't think it really gives us any insight into her true feelings about the project but she does talk and it's only about a minute she talks about natalie portman she doesn't talk about working with the director or anything like that she says that the best thing about the film was watching natalie portman perform and seeing natalie portman's process and just her admiration for natalie portman and i think that's such a fair assessment I, I, that's the only draw I can see for her, like that opportunity to work with Natalie Portman. But I think she just absolutely nails it by saying that she got to watch Natalie Portman perform, because I think that's quite literally what her character is given in this film. She's a side character who stands in the background and dutifully watches Nat Poe have her big performance. And look, not all roles are created equal, but why put two big stars in this film and give them, like, equal headlining on posters and, you know, use them as the draw card to get us in when one of them really doesn't have that much to do? It seems strange. I I feel like the movie would have been better off selling it as... Here's a Natalie Portman film... Natalie Portman is on the poster with Eric Banner. It's her big movie. Make it even more about her. And cast, like, your Juno Temple, your up-and-comer in the film, as Mary instead. But to act like it's about the two of them is deceptive. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I rest my case. And some housekeeping. We've got to do some scarcapillary. What's the new word or phrase we've learned through this film episode? 
has to be NatPo, right? Start using NatPo in all your gossip mags. Or if NatPo is not good enough for you, we also learnt Cumber Dud. And we certainly had a Cumber Dud right here. And again, my god, this is one where the three greatest feats, the three things that we'll remember Scarlet for in this film, is incredibly difficult. Uh, number one, she pretended to be interested in Benedict Cumberbatch. It's a fine bit of acting right there. Pretended he wasn't part fish. Pretended he didn't look strange out of the water. Pretended he wasn't a grey alien who'd come down to abduct and probe her. Two, she gave birth to a baby. I think that's the first time she's given birth to a baby in a film. And that's the sort of scene that I imagine really, really takes a lot out of you. You really gotta arc yourself up for that. Scream and grimace all day. Risk getting wrinkles. So good on her for selling that. And three, she helped deliver a baby. Which I've added for symmetry. Circle of life, etc. etc. Next time on ScarJo A Go Go, hopefully things are going to be a bit better. We have our third Woody Allen film, Vicky Christina Barcelona. Now, I remember there being quite a bit of buzz about this, that it was good. I think a lot of the buzz was about Penelope Cruz rather than Scarlet. But Woody's got one big hit and one big miss with me so far. So this is his chance to turn things around. Can he do it? I don't know. I don't know what to expect. Sometimes these are good. Sometimes they aren't. Always hope for the best. And the bright side, of course, is that we now have the other Berlin girl out of the way. My two least anticipated films are over and done with. We're getting closer and closer to Black Widow times. So thank you for listening, for sticking with this one. Please listen to the other podcasts. Every Monday is FPcast. That's the Fruitless Pursuits podcast where we review films and talk about pop culture news. And also the book was better where myself and a guest host every week read a shitty novelization of a movie. And that's always a lot of fun. Please rate and review any of the shows that you listen to on iTunes. Tell all your friends. Tell your mum and dad. Write it on a sandwich board. Walk up and down the street in a high-populated area. And, uh, yeah, look, just go to www.fruitlesspursuits.com. You can find all those shows and links to our Facebook discussion pages. I'm happy to talk to you about Scarlett Johansson. Did I get it right? Did I get it wrong? Do you have any insight that I'm lacking? Boy, you got some attitude, mister. You think you know everything. Well, why don't you do a show? And then I'll criticize that. Huh? Yeah. I thought as much. I'm gonna see you next week. She starts off really small and then she grows, she grows, she grows, she grows. Let's see how far she goes. Scar Joe, go, go.